When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Off the Post Post Media's Hockey Podcast. I'm Paul Chapman, joined by Mike Tracos from, uh, I don't know, I would say sunny San Jose, Mike, but I have no idea what the weather's oh, like Oh, you, you would be right there, Paul. It is sunny. And coming from Toronto, <laughs> where on the Monday I had actually uh, both kids home because it was too cold to go to school, according to uh, uh, the school board. Uh, this is a welcome change. So yeah, the sun is out in full force. Uh, beautiful day. Beautiful weekend for an all-star weekend. Let's see, let, let's see how it turns out. Yeah, in Vancouver, if it's one degree Celsius, they think about canceling school. <laughs> a little different standards, as I'm sure there are in uh, in San Jose. Look, before we get to the uh, what's going on down at the all-star break, uh, just to let folks know, in the second period, we'll, we're going to be talking about the mid-season of the NHL. Uh, I know that there's awards that have come out which is a little peculiar to me but i will go through that at the time we'll talk about sort of winners and losers at this time of the year and then we'll finish up talking a little bit about the all-star game the festivities whether it's worthwhile etc etc but we wanted to start talking about edmonton and the oilers um i don't know mike i don't get it you know more about hockey than i do uh i understand shirelli was on the hot seat i understand people have been calling for him to be canned for a while I just don't understand how you can have all that talent, and particularly with Connor McDavid, and not make this work. Yeah, it's inexcusable, Paul. And you mentioned it. Like when you're gifted, not just Connor McDavid, but um, even before him, how many first overall picks do they get? Like from Taylor Hall to Ryan Nugent Hopkins to Neil Yakupov, and even with Yessi Puyarvi uh, being a top five pick, um, the pieces should be there. Um, never mind the fact that in the second round, that means you're drafting 31st overall, which is basically another first round pick. Um, it really is inexcusable. And why things aren't working out? Well, all you have to do is go through Peter Shirelli's sort of trade record, his free agent signings. Uh, he really made a mess of things here in Edmonton. And, uh, you know, I feel for the next guy that's going to have to try to clean up his mess because, you know, you remember that movie Paul, uh, Pulp Fiction where, you had Harvey Keitel's character as the wolf, and he was there to clean up uh, a murder scene and uh, get rid of all the blood. Like the wolf, the wolf can clean up <laughs> this mess. Like this is ugly. Um, and you look at the Edmonton Oilers cap situation. I think they're, they're spending, I think, top five in the league. Um, that's not going to change with McDavid making the money he's making, with Leon Drysaddle making the money he's making, and more importantly, with Milan Lucic signed for way too much money for way too many years. So, um, yeah, it's really bungled things here. And, you know, I talking to Ray Shiro a couple years ago. Um, I asked him about kind of overseeing a team that had Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. And, you know, Shiro was point blank in the sense that he goes, you know, there's more than just the responsibility of trying to win a championship. He's like, you're handling the legacy of a future Hall of Famer. And the last thing you want to do is, ruin that legacy by a not giving that player a chance to 
achieve individual goals, but also team goals. And, you know, that, that, that's the thing that I think where Shirelli really let down, not just McDavid, but quite possibly like uh, the history of the NHL is that he ruined a legacy and, or he uh, contributed to the ruination of a partial legacy in McDavid. Like he should have won the Hart Trophy last year and he should be in contention for it this year. Instead, um, if the Oilers fall out of the playoffs, which it looks like they're going to do again, there's no way that voters are going to have McDavid one, two, or three on their ballots when all is said and done. And that's a, that's a travesty in my mind. I, I think you've touched on something spectacular there in, the, in, in Connor McDavid. And what, you know, what is his mindset? He's, he's one of these typical, much like Crosby, he's a good Canadian kid who's going to keep his nose clean and work hard for the sake of the franchise. But at some point, um, at what point does he say, this isn't working for me. I, you know, I need to win a cup. All these other guys who sort of he's striving to be on their level, they all eventually won cups. Even you look at Ovechkin last year, but Ovechkin had been close before. You know, you know what his mindset's mindset probably what John Tavares's mindset was at the end of last summer, in the sense that you know what, what he's going to join the Leafs? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> yeah, no, let's not start those rumors. But <laughs> let's face it, um, Tavares, aside from wanting to return home and wanting to, um, you know, achieve a dream of his and play for the boyhood Leafs, uh, uh, the team that he's always wanted to play for, he wanted to play for a contender. And uh, if the Leafs weren't a contender, he was not going to Toronto. Um, The fact that the New York Islanders had shown nothing in his nine years there in in the sense of putting together uh, the pieces around Tavares um, really opened the door for him to explore um, signing with either the Tampa Bay Lightning, the San Jose Sharks, and ultimately the Toronto Maple Leafs. So you, you got, all you have to do is look ahead to when McDavid's up again uh, for his contract and say, you know, if the Edmonton Oilers don't get their stuff together, there's no reason why this guy's going to re-sign there. And you know what? Um, I, I'm not trying to put words in his mouth or anything, but it's just a simple fact. Like Players don't want to just make money and don't want to just play in warm locales. They want to be on winning franchises. And you know, McDavid, you look at the point uh, that he's producing, um, there's a significant gap between him and the rest of the team. And um, if he's the only guy really kind of pulling on that rope, it's going to be just really depressing for him, especially if he's looking ahead at a roster that is really um, has his hands tied in terms of the cap situation. And there's really no way out aside from exploring free agency when that comes when that time comes. You talked about the wolf having to come in and clean this up, how quickly could they turn it around? Oh, it's going to take a while, I think. Like, There's no pieces there, aside from the young pieces that you don't want to touch. Um, the guys like Puyo Yarvi or Yamamoto or um, uh, the defenseman that they just got in the, this year and uh, last year's draft, like in next year's uh, first overall pick or first round pick. Those are the pieces that you don't want to move, but those are the pieces that probably bring the most value. So um, I don't know what you can do um, in the short term, aside from kind of maybe tinkering around the fringes and bringing in depth players. And I don't think that's really going to cut it. Um, they've got two goalies there that are just getting shelled on a nightly basis. They have a defense that just isn't deep enough or talented enough. And like I said, when you get past McDavid and Dreisaitl and maybe even Nugent Hopkins, um, that talent level just drops right off a cliff. So it's going to be tough. Like maybe you can buy out a couple players here and there, um, but good luck trying to find a trading spot for a guy like Milan Lucic, who I think scored twice in the calendar year of 2018. Like um, 
this team's got some serious problems. And I know the Edmonton Oilers fan base doesn't want to hear it, but we could be in store for another quote-unquote rebuild. And maybe it's not going to take as long as this last one has taken because I don't know what you've rebuilt towards, but um, it could be another situation where you go maybe two or three years without a playoff spot while you sort of um, build up that roster um, in terms of getting prospects in the cupboard. Well, if you want to see some major angst, especially here in Vancouver, you'd see the Oilers win the draft lottery again for Jack Hughes in this offseason. I don't know how many cracks they needed at that number one pick to actually put together a competitive team, but, uh, you know, I, I'm with you. I I still see, you know, we saw with – obviously Crosby had Malkin, but you saw this progression, and I, I would imagine for Edmonton fans it's this – when they got in the playoffs, it looked like they were going in the right direction. Then they just slide back again. And even this year, you know, it's been a little more in season. You, they'd go on a stretch where they look like, okay, maybe they are turning it around. They slide back again to being non-competitive. Yeah. And you know what? It's, it's difficult because like you've got talent up front, obviously. And I don't know if you've got to trade a Leon Dreisaitl, um to get maybe two or three players of, um, that really can kind of, um, fill out the roster, but those kind of moves, you know, we've seen them. They end up biting you in the back. Like, t- trading Taylor Hall, at the time you're thinking, okay, well, this team desperately needs help on the back end. And now you're looking back at it going, geez, uh, all they got was Adam Larson, who doesn't score goals and isn't that number one defenseman, is at best maybe a number two or number three uh, for a guy that wins the MVP. And you trade Jordan Everly for a guy in uh, Ryan Strom and then flip Strom for Ryan Spooner. And that hasn't worked out because Spooner was – just placed on waivers like if you're a fan base of Edmonton you're saying don't trade anyone because none of these trades have worked out in the last while at the same time you need to make some sort of change here I think uh, to go along the way that they're going is just not going to work and now you're looking at a situation where the Oilers hand a guy in Miko Koskinen who's 30 years old and has played a grand total of I think of 32 NHL games now you're signed him to a three-year deal worth four and a half million a year and if you're an Edmonton fan, like I said, you're just throwing up your hands going, geez, did, did you have to do this right now? Um, that, that's money that could have went in other places, and that's money that um, doesn't look like it was spent wisely when you consider the track record and the resume of a guy that's barely, um, barely into his full rookie year in the NHL. Edmonton obviously is ground zero, already firing Todd McClellan and bringing in Ken Hitchcock and now making a move with the GM too. But we've seen a fair amount of upheaval, uh, both behind the bench and in the front offices of the NHL early this season. Why do you think that is? We didn't see barely anything last year, but this year there's been a ton of teams being rather impatient. Yeah, I have a theory about that, Paul. And I think it all goes back to Vegas. And I think owners across the league um, who are continually told uh, by their general managers that you have to be patient. Nothing uh, can be won or lost in a year. And um, now they watch the Vegas Golden Knights as an expansion franchise uh, take a roster of basically no-name players all the way to the Stanley Cup final. And uh, I think other owners are saying, geez, uh, they've turned around that quickly. How can this team uh, that I own that's got all these name players not turn it around? And I think that's why we're seeing a lot of coaches fired. And that's why this season... We've already seen two general managers fired midseason, which is so rare. Like I can't recall another time where GMs were fired in the middle of the season, not just one, but two. So um, I think there is a level of impatience there. And 
you know, it, it used to be five-year plans. Well, five-year plans don't exist anymore. It's now, you know what, retool and get better because um, a lot of the cases, and Vancouver's maybe one of them, it doesn't take more than just one or two prospects to kind of turn your fortunes around. So, yeah, you're right. I know you joked about Edmonton winning the draft lottery and getting a guy like Jack Hughes, but, you know, maybe they do get a Hughes. Maybe they get a Capo Caco at number two, and maybe that's that's enough of a difference where now you've got uh, two or three solid centers down the, the middle, and maybe that's all Edmonton needs to kind of slip into a playoff spot and kind of turn things around. Like we saw that with Montreal this year where they get Jesperi Kokanaimi uh, at uh, the number three spot, and this guy gets rushed to the NHL, and they make a trade for Max Domi, and they bring in Thomas Tatar, and all of a sudden the Montreal Canadiens are knocking on the door of a playoff spot. So things can change in a hurry. Um, I, I think that's the... If you want to look at the glass being half full, that, that's what you got to look at in terms of Edmonton. But at the same time, you know, this is a franchise that should be doing more than just sneaking into a playoff spot and going out in the first round. Um, when you've got a guy like McDavid, you got a guy like Dreisaitl, um, really the hard work should be done. All you have to do is fill out the rest of the roster. And that's been the big failing part of the Edmonton Oilers. It's not picking number one, it's picking number 31 or 32 and finding those guys in the third, fourth and fifth rounds and drafting and developing because uh, what they're doing right now, whatever the model is, it's broken and uh, it's up to the next GM to kind of fix it. I love that theory, by the way, Mike, last thing on this, before we move on, um, a lot of the same names that I was seeing a week ago mentioned as potential Seattle G expansion GMs for a year down the road are now being thrown into the Oilers ring, which would be the more attractive scenario for you is to take over the Oilers with McDavid or start from scratch in a place like Seattle? Oh, that's a really good question, actually, because, you know, immediately you say, obviously, McDavid, because he's a once-in-a-generation type star. But you, know, you look at that cap situation, and I think I'd rather have the expansion team um, just to have a clean slate there where, you know what, no mis you don't have to fix any mistakes. Uh, you're basically going from ground zero, so... Um, I think if I'm Kelly McCrimmond or if I'm Mark Hunter and I've got the option of taking over an uh, expansion team like whatever the Seattle NHL team is going to be called or the Edmonton Oilers, I think I'm steering clear of Edmonton and that pressure cooker. And I'm saying, you know what, um, less expectations and I get to do it my way in Seattle. Well, and the flip side of that is, as we always say in Vancouver, you don't have to shovel rain. So take uh, <laughs> <laughs> the usual cheap shots at Edmonton. Um, we'll leave that there, Mike. That's the end of the first period. We're going to come back and talk about the NHL at the All-Star break. How's it going? I'm Dave Breckenridge. I'm the host of 10.3, Post Media's Canadian News Podcast. In every episode, we take a deeper look at major stories happening in Canada, talking with journalists who are on the ground from newsrooms across the country. So once Off the Post has you up to date with the latest in the hockey world, be sure to subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio. That's 10.3, Canada's news covered. Welcome back to the second period. This is the Post Media Off the Post podcast. Subscribe to us through Apple Podcasts if you like it. Get um, podcasts myself and Mike Tracos every week. Um, Mike, I wanted to talk to you. This is one of the traditional mile posts in the NHL season. Um, We'll get into these PHWA announcements for midseason awards in a minute, which is like, do you get half a trophy for this? <laughs> I'm not sure why we got an official list at this point. But what have been the big stories and the surprises for you in the first half of the season? Uh, th there's a lot. Like, there's no Vegas. Um, or maybe there is a Vegas. I I'm still surprised that the New York Islanders are 
not only in a playoff spot, but I think the last time I checked, they were leading the Metro division uh, in points. And that's a Metro division that includes the you Washington told me Capitals. Last week, the Islanders. You told me last week the Islanders were a mirage. And you Did were I say that? To address it. But here they are. They put another week on top of that. I know. You know what? I keep waiting for the bubble to burst. And, you know, I was doing the same thing last year with Vegas. Uh, I was kind of holding my breath saying, you know what? <laughs> Whatever they did in the first month, that's not going to happen in November. Okay. And then November comes around. I'm going, yeah, but you know what? We're still not to December yet. And that, that's going to happen. It, same thing's happening with the Islanders where I'm going – Okay, I'm going up and down that roster saying, okay, their, their top-line center is a guy named Brock Nelson. Um, they've got Leo Komarov playing on their third line. Um, they've got two goaltenders that no one else wanted at the end of the last season. How are things working there? And for whatever reason, maybe it's the us-against-them mentality, but, yeah, what what was maybe a mirage is turning into the real thing. And um, Lou Lamorello giving him a lot of credit because he's been a big proponent of the logo on the front is more important than the name on the back. And uh, give Barry Trotz a lot of credit because he's, you know, he went from a Stanley Cup winner where he had Ovechkin, Backstrom, and Kuznetsov, and he goes to a team in the Islanders. And with a lot of workmanlike efforts, he, he's gotten this team to play better than the Capitals, play better than the Penguins, and, you know what, play better than the John Tavares-led Maple Leafs. So um, that's been my huge, big surprise this season. What about the Calgary Flames? I mean, we started off a month into the season. We were talking about all these great um, Canadian possibilities. Obviously, the Leafs have had, by their expectations, I get it, a little bit of a down season, but I think there's still great hope for the Leafs. The Jets were right there last year. Montreal have been surprising in the first week of the season. But Calgary's a team to me, Mike, that I just don't – I mean, yes, they've got some talent there, but I don't see, like, best team in the West type talent there. No, and I just wrote about them uh, today, and – you know, I was talking to Bill Peters about that, and I said, you know, like, what were your impressions going into this team? And he said, you know, we had question marks. Like, um, I didn't know what was going to happen with Mike Smith or how Sean Monaghan was going to rebound. And, you know, the way things ended in Calgary last year, um, there were question marks over character and there's criticisms over um, a lack of leadership. So he said, you know what, after, like, heading into now the All-Star break, he's like, this team has probably been a lot better than I would have given them credit for. And I think that a lot of people are feeling the same way about the Flames. Like, um, this might be the best team in Canada. Like, they have a better record than the Jets and the Leafs. And when you look at their roster, whether it's Giordano on defense, Johnny Goudreau, who's making a name uh, as a Hart Trophy candidate, and, you know, they've got four guys, I think, in the top 25 in scoring right now, and three of them, or four of them are forwards. Yeah, this might be as as complete a team um, as they come in Canada. Certainly right after the Tampa Bay Lightning, this is the best team in the NHL. So um, surprised, yeah, I thought they were a playoff team. I didn't think they were going to be this good. Um, and this is a team that still doesn't have James Neal going. So, you know, if James Neal can find a way to um, become the James Neal that we saw last year and the year before, and there's no reason to suggest that he... He won't eventually um, come around. The, the Calgary Flames could end up, you know, being that team that ends the drought. Um, really, there are no weaknesses. The one weakness I think that a lot of people are still kind of iffy about is that um, they're going at it with a goalie tandem, and um, I think eventually it's either going to be Smith or Riddick that are that's going to have to carry the load. But um, as it stands right now, uh, find me a better team in Canada. Uh, this is this is as good as it comes. I think we always default to 
sort of potential or paper champions rather than how teams are performing on the ice? Because I, I, I'm still not sold on that. I mean, I, I hear what you're saying about the Islanders. I look at the Calgary Flames and I see that they're absolutely a playoff team, maybe even, you know, in the, in the top four in the West, but I still look at the Leafs and the Jets and say they got more talent and would like to believe they'd be better built for the playoffs. Goaltending is the big question with the Flames, but how do you think the other Canadian teams – or, or let me phrase this another way. How What do you think those Canadian teams, in particular the Jets and the Leafs, have to do in the second half of the season to get to where people thought they'd be going into the season? Yeah, you know what? With the Leafs, they've got all the talent on paper. It just hasn't come together all at the same time, Paul. And, you know, they've got – they really should have three lines that could do damage against you where as an opposing coach, you're going to have to pick your poison. But uh, on some nights, it's the, the top line. On other nights, it's the second line. Last night against the Washington Capitals, it ended up being the, the Nazem Kadri line, which is the third line um, that scored three of their goals. And um, really, it hasn't all come together all at once. And there's, you know, I really don't like the Leafs defense. I think that's going to be their Achilles heel. And more than that, like when you're talking about Calgary having to go through a Pacific division that might be the weakest division in hockey, the Leafs are going to have to go through the Boston Bruins. And if they get through the Boston Bruins, they're going to have to go through the Tampa Bay Lightning. So their road to the uh, the conference final is a lot tougher than any other team. And same thing with the Jets. Like I don't want to be playing the Nashville Predators in the first round or the second round. And that's the kind of scenario that the Jets are going to be under as well. So um, it's obviously not easy uh, for any team, but... You know, I, I share your concerns with Calgary, and I probably had those concerns maybe a month ago. Uh, but then, you know what, I, I've been paying closer attention to them and watching their lines, and that Goudreau, Monaghan, Elias Lindholm line, it might be the best line in hockey right now in the sense that each guy knows what he's doing. Lindholm might be the second coming of Marion Hossa. Like, that's how good he is defensively. Uh, Goudreau's just playing out of his mind right now. And Monaghan, when you've got a big center like that who's healthy, and healthy is a key thing with Sean Monaghan because last year he was really banged up. Um, I'd I, I put him against any other center in the NHL, and certainly in the West where everyone's so big and you have to go against the Shifleys and the Getzlaffs. Um, I really like Monaghan's chances more than I like uh, some of the other smaller guys uh, around the NHL. So uh, I, I've really become sort of, I don't want to say a fan, but, uh, really appreciating what the Calgary Flames are doing right now. And um, that defense with Giordano, Brody, um, as well as Noah Hannafin and um, the, the other pieces that they have there, uh, it, it's a pretty deep defense. So, yeah, the, the one thing that concerns me is the goaltending. And you know what? Uh, when you've got a second-year guy in Riddick and you've got a guy in Mike Smith who um, really looks like he's past his prime, that, that is the major concern. But you know, so far it's working. Um, just quickly to run through some of these categories for this the midseason awards that the uh, PHWA has handed out. Uh, oh, quickly, the second year they've done it in a row, and I, I <laughs> it's a good it's a good idea because it gets us talking about individual uh, performances at the halfway mark. But yeah, it, it is it is a bit silly. Well, they're hockey writers, of course, they're doing stuff that can generate stories out of nothing. Content. Um, <laughs> I still think yeah, it's give them half. That's exactly. Half. That's exactly it. I saw the trophy in half and give them the second half. If it's like Survivor, you get the, the the second half and put them together at the end of the season. Um, Hart Trophy. The top three vote getters were Nikita Kucherov from Tampa, Johnny Gaudreau from the Flames, Connor McDavid from the Oilers, uh, Norris Trophy, Giordano from the Flames, Riley from the uh, Leafs, and Brent Burns from San Jose. Uh, Selkie, of course, Patrice Bergeron, uh, Barkov. 
uh, from Florida is the second one. Stone from Ottawa is the third. Calder, which uh, obviously of interest to people here in Vancouver, Elias Pedersen, Rasmus Dallin, Amir Huskanen. Um, you know, get into some of the others, the Vezina, I guess, uh, John Gibson uh, for the Ducks. Maybe that's a badge of honor just by how, how many pucks he's seen this year. Uh, Andre Fleury, the, or Marc-Andre Fleury the second, and Frederick Anderson the third. One of the things that struck me about this list of players, Mike, is that there's a good mix of new players in there. It's not the same old, same old in terms of, um, you know, all you always see the same three guys, Crosby, Ovechkin up up in the running for the heart, uh, for the Norris, you know, Doughty and and some of the other usual suspects. There's a good mix of some new names in there, and that bodes well for kind of what we're seeing in the NHL, a little bit of a changing of the guard this year. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like, I remember just even putting together the Selkie trophy, and uh, I didn't have Bergeron on my list, and I didn't have Kopitar or Taze on my list. And, you know, usually when you're coming up with your Selkie candidates, you automatically just pencil those three guys in and same thing with uh, Crosby uh, uh, not being mentioned in the heart and Ovechkin not being in, mentioned in my heart ballot as well. Um, so yeah, the, there is a bit of a change in the garden and it's exciting. Like the Norris trophy alone, like Morgan Riley didn't even, has never received a single vote for the Norris trophy, never mind been a finalist in his, uh, his time in Toronto. And um, he's not, uh, so he's there now. Um, in the mix and a guy like Eric Carlson, who, again, like you just naturally at the beginning of the year, pencil his name in, he's not there as well. So, you know, things can change in the second half, but I think this is, I think, um, I think last year at the midseason mark when the NHL or sorry, the PHWA did this, um, it was something like, uh, I think half, uh, half the awards stayed the same. Um, sorry, sorry, half the winners ended up, uh, winning, um, winning the award at the end of the year, if that makes sense, if I've worded that correctly. Um, so this could be an indicator that a guy like Kucherov might end up winning it, or at least it's going to come down to him and Goudreau, or uh, that a guy like Giordano could end up winning it. And um, that's the other thing to, that I didn't really notice is that there's a lot of flames um, who are mentioned here, whether it's true living for the GM of the year award or um, Giordano um, for not only the, the Norris, but the Rod Langway award, which, uh, um, is a, <laughs> a writer-created award that goes to the defensive defenseman of the year. So, um, yeah, th there's a lot of love for Calgary. And like, like you said, there's a lot of new names there too, which is kind of uh, – it adds a little spice to the NHL. Great stuff, Mike. We'll take our last break here and we'll come back and talk a little bit about the All-Star Game. How's it going? I'm Dave Breckenridge. I'm the host of 10.3, Post Media's Canadian News Podcast. In every episode, we take a deeper look at major stories happening in Canada, talking with journalists who are on the ground from newsrooms across the country. So once Off the Post has you up to date with the latest in the hockey world, be sure to subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio. That's 10.3, Canada's News Covered. Welcome back to the third period of the Off the Post podcast, uh, Post Media's hockey podcast. Speaking with Mike Tracos from San Jose, there for the NHL All-Star Game. Mike, um, the All-Star Game's a funny thing. They've changed the format so many times over the years. I, I think my own personal theory on it is um, free agency has, has stolen some of the luster from this game where it used to be like, man, what if Gretzky and Lemieux got to play together? I mean, we saw it in Canada Cups, but when you didn't have the Olympics and that kind of stuff, you see players change teams all the time. The game doesn't really mean that much. There's no defense played, um, but it's still a spectacle, isn't it? I always think for the, the people who are hosting the game, it's become a real event in their city rather than something that you have to watch on a Saturday night if you're not there. Yeah, and you know what? 
college, it's like the NBA though, and probably uh, Major League Baseball, where the skills competition still um, outweighs the actual game. Absolutely. And, you know, I think the NHL is getting back to where the skills competition actually means something. Uh, I remember talking to uh, one of the the guys that sort of is behind the scenes um, in charge of kind of creating the content for the the skills competition and. His wish is that it becomes more like, you know what, Zidane Charo is not an all-star this year, but he's going to come to the event and participate in the hardest shot competition. And same thing with Shea Weber, so that you get a true sense of, all right, which who in the NHL is the uh, who, who has the hardest shot and who actually has is the fastest skater? Because um, right now you don't have um, like a Michael Grabner uh, at this game who might actually be the fastest guy or a Kasperi Kapanen from Toronto uh, who might actually challenge a guy like McDavid for uh, the fastest skater. And I think that's that's where I think the NHL is sort of still missing out. Um, uh, maybe a puckhead like me really kind of um, would like to see like who actually does have the hardest shot and who's the fastest skater and who's got the sickest moves in the breakaway. And um, maybe he's just skilled in that one area and he's not necessarily an all-star. So, um, that would maybe take some convincing to, uh, from the NHLPA, but I, I think that would add a nice little wrinkle. Um, as it is now, I think the players, are, they sort of care about it, but not really. Um, I think if you had told McDavid they didn't have to participate in the fastest skater competition, he would gladly sit out because <laughs> who wants to spend their off weekend uh, racing around and uh, getting all sweaty when everyone else is kind of just joking around, but... Yeah, yeah, I still get a kick out of the all-star game. Maybe that's the kid of me, or maybe the fact that I've got a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old at home that are um, more excited than probably the average hockey fan. Yeah, I agree with you. The game is completely irrelevant. But if I go back to my childhood, which predates yours for sure, I used to love that really hokey series called Showdown that they used to run on Hockey Night in Canada. Um, So, uh, you know, I I think that that aspect of it where – you know, essentially you're highlighting the personalities of these players and the skills that they have. I think that goes so far to market the players. I, I, look, I'm a, I'm a football fan too. And I, I, the Pro Bowl is the same weekend. Pro Bowl is probably the worst sporting event held in this continent. But I love all the goofy stuff during the week. I, I like this, the old quarterback contest they used to have. I even watch offensive linemen do the bench press. That's why I geek out Every year watching the NA or the NFL scouting combine in Indianapolis, I think they've done the NFL's done such a good job turning that 40 yard dash and and some of the agility drills into sort of things that matter in the game. We still know, well, John Ross recently won the fastest man contest, breaking Chris Johnson's record. This goes to hockey. Like, I don't know how fast the record is for that time around the rink, whereas everyone can tell you how fast an NFL player around the 40. And I think you have an opportunity to really. Right. See- this is the fastest man in hockey. This guy has the hardest shot. That would hold some currency in the game. We all knew Al McInnes was the guy with the hardest slap shot. But I'm like you for hockey geeks. I think it's still a worthwhile weekend. I, I mean, it must be a bit of a party atmosphere there in San Jose. Oh, completely. And you know what? Uh, I know a lot of guys like Ovechkin get criticized or it kind of takes the luster away when they bow out and they say, you know, what? I'd rather take a suspension just to kind of rest my body. The guys who do come here, and especially the younger guys, like there are a lot of first-year All-Stars. I bet you if you asked Elias Peterson uh, what it means to be at the All-Star game, he's more happy or ecstatic than uh, most fans are. Like This means a lot to those guys, and it is a fun weekend for the players as well. Um, they get to joke around with other guys. They get to feel like they are the best in the league, and 
you know, I, I think the NHL's done sort of a, a decent job in drumming up some competitiveness with that three-on-three tournament. Um, if you remember, like back when it was just the East versus West uh, straight-up game, like the scores were getting out of control. No one was playing defense. Now when it's three-on-three and um, you get into that final minute of a, a condensed kind of game uh, in that mini-tournament, um, you start seeing the competitive juices. Like you're not going to see hits, but... Guys are trying. Goalies are trying. And I think that's the thing that you're trying to aim for. You're never going to have hitting, fighting, um, and guys really losing it on the ice. But um, if you can kind of drum up a little bit of competitiveness, uh, it really does show across on the TV. And um, I, I think that's that's really what you can kind of strive for. Now, the other aspect of this is... Uh... There always used to be the idea that it was an event for NHL brass too, that this was a place where maybe some business would get done, that you would start to see maybe heating up of some trades or at least the preliminary groundwork for them. Um, maybe it's because everyone's so connected now. Maybe it's because the board of governors has become more of a place where that kind of stuff happens. But you were telling me there aren't a lot of GMs there. It's not like you're going to see a lot of real, you know, talks going on in the corner and the, the lounge of your, of the media center there. No, and that's, that was a surprising thing because they did kind of canvas a bunch of GMs to figure out if this is sort of, you know, like the trade deadline is February 25th. So we're talking about a month away. And um, you figure that, you know, like you're going to set in motion um, the trades that are going to happen on that day or the week leading up to that day. And yet uh, I was kind of surprised when I talked to, like, I'd say like maybe six to eight GMs this week. Um, and said like, oh yeah, I'll see you in San Jose. And they're like, no, no, we're not going. We're we're gonna stay back and uh, do some work from home. I guess that's the advent in technology where you can do most of your stuff. You know, maybe I don't know if they're skyping or just straight up phone calls. But um, I figured that they'd be down here uh, rubbing shoulders and trying to get work on a uh, uh, preliminary work on a trade. So that that's still gonna happen. Um, I, I think while the players are off, probably and. In the Bahamas, who aren't in the game, they're they're resting on beaches. There's no way that GMs are taking this weekend off. I think uh, this gives them an opportunity to kind of assess what they have, at least season, and figure out what holes they go uh, look towards the second half of the season. So, if you're a bubble team, and um, there's a lot of bubble teams right now, especially in that Western Conference, where it seems like no one wants to uh, become a wild card team because everyone's sort of just hanging around. Like, if I'm the Vancouver Canucks, um, I'm taking a real hard look at, okay, do we have a playoff team right now? And if we do, what what pieces do we need and how much are we giving up to be uh, to be that team? Because, you know, they're, they're right there with Dallas and Colorado locked in, um, really tied for that final wildcard spot. So is, is, is it worth it to kind of sell a couple of futures to kind of ensure that you're there? And um, I think that's what a lot of teams are probably doing right now. So they might not be at the All-Star game, but they're probably locked into uh, a conference room with a big flow chart kind of saying, okay, what do we have? And um, is this the year that we should probably give up something to kind of uh, be buyers and just get into the playoffs? Well, I can tell you that the Canucks owner who has taken to live tweeting games, which is a fantastic idea. I would highly encourage Eugene Melnick, uh, Daryl Cates. You know, I would... <laughs> Jeff Molson, whoever I would, I would ask them all to start live tweeting games because it provides some great feedback from the fans. Francesco Aquilini suggested they're not going to deviate from the overall plan, and um, 
you know, it's not short-term success. They they see growth, which again, to fans' question a little bit, Trevor Linden might disagree with that statement. Now, say, why weren't you thinking that in the summer? But that's another story for another podcast. Mike, I know you got media parties and everything to go to. We will let you let you go there. Thanks for all your great stuff this week. You can read Mike's stuff at thenationalpost.com, read it at the Toronto Sun site, any of the Post media sites. I read it here in Vancouver at theprovince.com. If you want to, we'll be posting it all. Have a great time down in uh, in San Jose, Mike, and uh, I look forward to reading all your stuff. All right. Thanks, Paul. We'll talk again next week.